4: You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far... I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the
5: iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
3: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, you welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Uh, Julie, what's your relationship with junk food?
3: Uh, well, you know, as a um, tender teen, mm-hmm. I would love to get myself into some Cheetos and Dr. Pepper. I felt like this was the taste sensation. Uh, I don't know that I had an addiction to it, but that was my go-to poison.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like for a lot of us, our childhood was a wasteland of, of bad food, and... You know and I my, my dad was a was a dentist so you know I, I feel like we we didn't have as much of the whole eat everything you want candy bowl yeah. kind of environment that a lot of households had but but still I remember drinking a lot of colas I remember eating a lot of magic middles the Keebler cookies that had a chocolatey center and a short red outside that they eventually quit making uh, and it was a very tearful event mm-hmm. uh, I remember Eating tons of Twizzlers. And even to even to this this day I have I've been able to, to shut out a lot of junk food from my life. Yeah. At least overt junk food. And still, if someone offers me Twizzlers, I, I end up falling into the trap of accepting them. You know and what I'm, mine is? What what is it? Chipwich. Chipwich? what yeah. is
3: that? It's the chocolate chip cookies with the ice cream middle.
0: Chipwich, a chocolate chip cookie. Oh, like an ice cream sandwich? Chipwich. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, which turns out, as we're going to discuss, has all the elements of like an addictive food because you have the texture, you have, you know, the different ingredients contrasting and the creaminess. And so I'm kind of powerless if, if you put a chip witch in front of me.
0: Well, luckily, it has that frozen aspect to it. So it's, it's not the kind of thing you would necessarily find on a table at work, like left there by someone who was just trying to <laughs> remove the curse from their own life. Um, something frozen has to be hidden away in a freezer or offered directly from a chilling environment. You're right?
3: right. I could, if I could just turn away from it for like 20 minutes, yeah, then I could just destroy its powers.
0: De- powers, yeah,
3: yeah. But we are going to talk about this. These powers the hold that junk food has over us, and the fact that it's not accidental. There's a lot of money in research and development into making the perfect junk food to trip the sort of hardwired desires that we have for it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of chilling because it's it's easy to just think, well, chocolate chip cookies are delicious. You know, my mom makes them, my grandma makes them, whatever. There's something kind of natural and wholesome about that. And, And even if it is supernormal stimuli in its own right, uh it's still it, it doesn't seem that nefarious no. but when you start looking at uh, at the way that these companies create these items uh, and the way they they tweak their game plan and just and and really game the food item uh, in their favor economically then it kind of gives you the willies
3: yeah cuz you're like all of a sudden you you realize that that chip witch has been engineered in a lab somewhere yeah with some really expensive equipment and we'll get to that uh, but first let's talk about this influence of food on our behavior because it's not just like hey we we desire this and therefore we take the actions to secure it and eat it it's something a little bit more and a good example of this is the power of freshly baked bread
0: yeah this is really really interesting and and it involves bread which is an artificial food you know for the most part it's uh it's not something you're going to pick out of a tree it's a it's a product of human ingenuity and yet, it, it seems wholesome enough, right? I mean, I, I even find myself at the store sometimes picking up bread and forgetting that that it could contain it could contain high fructose corn syrup until I actually bring the bread home, and I'm like, oh well, crap, it's wheat bread, but it has high fructose corn syrup in it. But there, there's something there is something safe feeling about the bread and it's been a part of of safe rituals uh, for a long time i mean uh, to take of bread and salt in eastern cultures uh, uh, bread and salt were eaten uh, uh, with an oath that was taken mm-hmm. um you know, there's the, the just the idea of the breaking of bread being a way to to, to ease grievances. You have the ritual of the Eucharist in uh, in, the, in the Catholic tradition, and uh, and and uh, you know, and, and basically throughout Christianity, the idea that you're gonna you're gonna eat this bread and it's the uh, the the flesh of Christ and all that. I mean, it's still it's it that's that's bread breaking at its most uh, ritualistic.
3: Yeah, I mean that's some deeply ingrained tropes right there. Engrained. Ingrained. Ingrained, yeah. right there you yeah. go. And we even see it show up in the hard scrabble world of Game of Thrones.
0: That's right, uh, in George R. R. Martin's uh, universe there of, uh, of Westeros and beyond. You see that ritual of breaking bread. Of, uh, of, of having bread and salt when, say, two warring families meet. Uh, in fact, I, I specifically remember, no spoilers, but I specific, specifically remember a scene where two uh, very antagonistic groups are meeting, and one of the characters is very insistent, let's get the bread out, let's get the salt out, let's go ahead and break that bread, because that, uh, that alone may be what could prevent us all from dying here.
3: So... Taking that information and knowing that it might, it, you know, flavor huh um, the way that we behave, this study about altruism in bread is really interesting because it turns out that the aroma is so influential that researchers at the University of Southern Brittany in France found that its mere presence amped up altruism in strangers passing by a bread shop. We're talking about 77% of people who passed a bakery with a robust smell of bread emanating from it. Those people stopped to help a person pick up their glove or handkerchief or tissue in contrast with people passing by a clothes store of which only 52 percent of those um, who stopped to help that Confederate, that person in the study, retrieve their snotty rag.
0: It's amazing. It's it's as if it, it ties into this this primordial uh, food sharing sort of vibe that we have, you know, something something just buried deep in the hindbrain where there's a, a smell of bread in the air, there's mm-hmm. a smell of, of food, a smell of sustenance. Therefore, maybe I should start being nice to everyone or at least a little less awful on the chance that I could have some of that bread. Because ultimately that's part of my, my whole genetic programming is I need to eat, I need to breed, I need to keep going.
3: Ah, uh, so you're saying that altruism could be connected to the pleasure circuit, which we'll talk about in a second.
0: What I wonder is, do you, does that actually affect uh, crime statistics? Like, if somebody's oh, looking to rob a fast food restaurant, do they go into Subway and suddenly feel <laughs> a little like, I don't
3: know these guys
0: look like decent folks. I don't want to uh, you know, do a stick-up job here. I'm going to go down the street to the burger place.
3: Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe they grab a sub and, and they go down to Berber, Burger King Yeah, or Berber King.
0: I, I, would, I would be interested in seeing the results of such a study.
3: All right. I um, wanted to point out that neuroscientist David Linden said in an interview with Terry Gross of Fresh Air that the average weight of an American between 1960 and now has gone up by an astonishing 26 pounds. And he says that's not because Americans' genomes have changed significantly. It's because we have these 32-ounce sodas and fast food and, and food corporations realizing that certain combinations of flavors and textures produce craving. So again, it's sort of like take the bread example. Um, that elicits this idea that we're going to have this reward, that there's a certain pleasure in that smell. There's a certain sustenance. So I also wanted to point out that there is a 2013 survey by market research firm Technomic. They looked at 22,459 adults and they found that 83% of people who eat outside of the home are prompted by cravings and 75% who visit restaurants more than once a week, do so for a specific dish that they crave. And can you guess the restaurants that people hit up the most?
0: It was interesting to 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 look at the the findings here, because they're not necessarily the places that I would crave, but the number one on this list, uh, on the chart, rather, the, Mm -hmm. the highest ranking one, Krispy Kreme donuts. And while I like to believe I'm immune to the temptation of crispy cream donuts today. Mm-hmm. I do know that there is a there is an upscale donut place uh just down the street from where I live and I do feel a little bit of the temptation to drop by there. Uh in not, in part because I know that it would be delicious, but also there's just sort of the uh you know, the, the, the you're like a hero if you bring donuts somewhere. You bring you, you bring weird, really yeah. nice donuts somewhere. I mean, not not for my son. I wouldn't let him have one of these things. But you know, just to bring bring one home to some uh, to, to to family or to to friends and say, look, I am the bringer of donuts, and therefore I'm an okay guy.
3: I've noticed that in office culture, right on yeah. a Monday morning or a Friday morning, if you bring in a bunch of donuts, it's kind of like this grand gesture, and everybody's like, "Ooh, ha ha!" ha. Wow donuts like you know like like it's the victorian age and someone brought in oranges <laughs> um but yeah that that there's a certain kind of power there so it makes sense that crispy cream is occupying the top slot
0: because they have everything and um, it's not just Krispy Kreme, but donuts in general, you've got the sweet, you've got the fatty, the bready, mm-hmm. um, even the, even some of the, the meat flavoring. Now, I mean, you can get the, like one of the, the, the donuts is really popular at the, 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 place I was talking about has, it's like a, like a, what a caramel salt, sea salt, caramel yes. topped with, uh, with, with not bacon bits per se, but bits yeah. of bacon. And, uh, And so, yeah, you're getting the salty, you're getting the sweet, you're getting the bready, the fatty, the meaty, all in one super stimuli lump of food.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I'm immune to the donuts. And I live. You're
0: immune? You're lucky.
3: I'm immune to the charms of the donut. And I live, by the way, uh, around the corner Mm -hmm. from that place that you're talking about. And that's because, as an angsty teen, my first job, or one of my first jobs, was at Dunkin' Donuts working the 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift on the weekends.
0: With the conveyor belt?
3: No, no. Okay. In the store, like I didn't make the donuts. Oh, okay. Um, one of the best jobs I had. But I smelled like donuts and, I, and I, it was disgusting. And so. You're
0: getting pulled over all the time.
3: Yeah, people yeah. were just started sniffing me and <laughs> <laughs> licking my hair. Uh, so, anyway, f- for me, uh, donuts don't hold that power. But I did think about something on this list. After Coldstone Creamery, you have Red Lobster as mm-hmm. the first kind of like restaurant, restaurant. And okay. I, I, I'm not a big Red Lobster fan, but I have had those Cheddar Bay biscuits, and yes. I understand this. This might be my crave item if I were to go out and seek something from a restaurant each week.
0: I, I agree, because I'm the same way. You mentioned Red Lobster to me, and I'm instantly going to think seafood drowned in butter. I don't really want any. But then I'm going to remember that those,
1: those, uh, those biscuit things, those cheddar biscuits were so good.
0: Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
1: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
4: But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic.
2: Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex.
4: But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance.
5: I wanted to take control of
3: my story and not be ashamed of it.
4: And it was a history full of love.
1: The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible.
4: And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcast, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the General. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
3: Now, why is this gaming us in such a way? Well, it all has to do with the medial or brain pleasure circuit. And this is the region of the brain, which is dependent upon the neurotransmitter, dopamine. And um, this is really essential to our evolutionary survival, if you look at it this way. So it's a very ancient region of our brain, and it exists originally because we want eating food and and drinking water and having sex to be pleasurable in order to repeat this, to have children, to propagate our genes, survive, and and pass on this to the next generation. Um, It means that our ancestors could quickly identify which foods had the dense caloric value that their bodies needed to support what, what are really like huge daily energy expenditures. So as we saw in our episode about addiction, the problem about hitting this kind of supernormal stimuli, as you say, mm-hmm. over and over again is that those dopamine receptors, those D2 receptors, they start to decrease and they need more and more in order to get that same effect of dopamine in your brain.
0: So it's the, the same sort of situation you see with someone who is addicted to, 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 to various uh, drugs, to various uh, yeah. illicit substances. They're, uh, they need more to get the fix. Uh, because because the 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 circuits are breaking down kind of under the load of this uh this colossal stimuli,
3: yeah, when we looked at that world science festival panel on addiction, they showed those three brains right the um I think it was a meth addict um it was uh, an obese person and then a heroin addict. And they all had a lack of D2 receptors. And so the interesting thing about this is that something like 90% of cases of severe obesity are food addiction, with only 10% having to do with a, a metabolic defect. So, again, yeah, you can see this power of these foods and as kind of going to them over and over again, creating those pathways of addiction. So, again what's going to make the, the brain sing the most with dopamine, that's super normal stimuli. And that's where I'm like, that that's why something like the Cheesecake Factory exists. Because <laughs> I was like, what, what is a good example of this? Cheesecake. Yeah. Um What's an even better example? A restaurant that fetishizes it. <laughs> and according to their website, they have something like 37 different types of cheesecakes available. Wow. And just to add, I think a little bit of injury to insult they they offer something called the skinny licious menu which i'm gonna assume <laughs> is a way to, for people to eat like maybe dinner with less calories and then rationalize that giant cheesecake
0: or yeah i was i was yeah you know, i was wondering yeah is it going to be a smaller piece of cheesecake or what and do they have all types of cheesecake do they have like savory cheesecakes because I had an alligator cheesecake once in uh, New Orleans. So it, was, okay, it was quite t- good. Tell
3: me, what do you mean you had an alligator cheesecake? It's
0: like a cheesecake uh, with, with alligator in it. It's, it's everything that is a cheesecake except savory and, and meaty via mm. the meat of an alligator. How was it? It was good. It was really good and exceedingly rich. And it made you feel like a bad person after you ate it.
3: That is such like an Americana thing right there. Yeah. Alligator cheesecake.
0: Exactly. Yeah. A shrinking
3: bit of Americana. If
0: you're an adventurous eater, look it up. There are, uh, There are a few different places to get it down there.
3: All right, so it would make sense that we have this this reaction to, to food. And it would also make sense that when it comes to engineering junk food, that scientists leave nothing to chance. And we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the techniques and the technology. Hello there. Won't you join me on the information elevator? This week, Ben Bullen of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, Car Stuff and Brain Stuff, will join me on the elevator, and we'll look at whether or not he is a liar, liar, pants on fire. You can find the information elevator on Mind Stuff Show on YouTube.
0: Hey, we're back. Um, You know, I was thinking... I mentioned earlier the whole breaking of the bread. We talked about how the the scent of the bread, the aroma of the bread, uh, is is pleasing and therefore inspires altruism. And we mentioned uh, Game of Thrones and the idea that you have two rival houses coming together. And that smell of bread and the ritual of the bread may be all that uh, keeps them from tearing each other apart. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me uh, after you mentioned uh, donuts in the office. When, another situation where you see this kind of peace offering made, mm-hmm. and that's when there's bad news in the office, or some sort of major transition, or some major pain in the butt, giant meetings, <laughs> HR yeah. stuff, or, yeah. or in our case, when our uh, our, our our company recently uh, changed corporate masters from one uh, dark overlord to another, mm-hmm. and uh, not to imply that they're they're dark uh, or
3: we get evil, your meaning, but yeah. You know,
0: they're, they're overlords. And, uh, and so what happens when the transition is announced? Uh, instantly there is some sort of baked good in the office, right? Baked oh my goods. Oh gosh, you're and right. Some fruit and some coffee and some orange juice, but especially the smell of bread. Get that bread smell in there so that nobody kills anybody.
3: Well, and everybody feels like it's okay.
0: Yeah, okay. it's okay because there's bread.
3: <laughs> you know, I I wonder if law firms should begin to use this tactic when mediating cases, right? If they're yep. trying not to go to court with a case, maybe everybody shows up at the table and they break bread. Would this actually, in fact, uh, dial down the animosity between the parties?
0: What if when a police officer makes an arrest mm-hmm. um, before they duck their head into the patrol car, they mm-hmm. stick a Kaiser roll in their mouth? You know?
5: I feel
3: like there might be a lawsuit actually <laughs> arising from that.
0: Well, we would need to be gluten-free, and it would need to be vegan, right? But some sort of baked good.
3: I mean, we are up. a litigious society, yeah, you know, in the United States. So,
0: or a police baton that's actually a French uh, French <laughs> bread. You can you can really go nuts with the, with this.
3: I love that. I love the image now. And now I'm thinking about Bobby's in the UK. You know, yeah. The, yeah. All right. Um... All right, so how do these these food scientists get to that extra itchy place in our brains? Um, according to the New York Times Magazine article, The Extraordinary Science of Junk Food, Frito-Lay had a formidable research complex near Dallas where nearly 500 chemists, psychologists, and technicians conducted research that cost up to 30 Million a year, and the science core focused intense amount of uh, resources on questions of crunch, mouth feel, and aroma for each of these items. And one of the items that they used is a forty thousand dollar device that stimulates chewing to test and perfect chips, which we'll talk about later. Chips mm-hmm. is like sort of like the gold standard of junk food, um, which gets us to this whole chewing thing.
0: Yeah, the idea of how much chewing is optimal, right? Yeah, because uh, because apparently the the whole situation is you want some chewing because you need to you need to chew your food. Chewing the food is part of the enjoyment of it when we taste it. And this is an interesting. If you ever like really stop and think about a food that's pleasing you and try to dissect why it's pleasing you, mm-hmm. it's almost an unanswerable question. Have you ever done that? You, there's a there's some sort of dish you're looking forward to. It's in your mouth, and then you're trying to break it down. Why am I enjoying this? Am I enjoying it? Do I enjoy? Why am I going to swallow it? Like because once I swallow it, I can't taste it.
3: Yeah, and it's funny because we don't think about it in slow mo, but if you did, you would realize that that saliva is actually releasing some of the aromas of the food, mm-hmm. and that in and in and of itself is making it a more pleasurable experience. But most of us kind of just rush through it, mm-hmm. and. Um, the problem with that is that the faster you rush through chewing, the less your stomach has a chance to kind of catch up with feeling uh, sated and, and send signals to the brain that says stop. Right. Right. But this is one of the key tactics in food engineering or junk food engineering is if you can reduce the amount of chewing, you can stuff more stuff into your, your gaping maw. Mm hmm. And you can feed the addiction more and you can get to the bottom of that chip bag faster. And, right. And companies kind of want you to do that, right? Because then you're just going to buy more and more of the thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, they have to put that uh, suggested serving on the side, but really they don't want you to stop. They want you to, to plow through bag after bag. And if it takes forever to chew each, uh, each kernel, each chip, each Family's fun size piece, then it's going to take forever, and that's going to cut into how much fast food they can sell you and how much fast food they can put in that mouth.
3: Yeah. Oh, Dr. Linden, who wrote the, I believe it's called The Compass of Pleasure, in an interview again with Terry Gross, a, a separate one, um, said that much of the meat in chain restaurants has been mechanically tenderized and injected with marinade to dissolve in your mouth, and it's lubricated for swallowing by high water content. And so he says, in essence, the factory has done half of your chewing and swallowing for you so that you can eat more. And he says that's one of the things that chain restaurants have figured out. Now, Gail Vance Seville, who's the founder and president of Sensory Spectrum, this is a consumer research firm, says that in the 45 years that she's been in the food business, they used to have foods that they chewed 15 times and 20 times and 30 times before they were swallowed. But now, she says, there's rarely a food out there outside of, say, like a sweet, chewy candy. You have to chew more than 12 times before it's gone and so the idea is that you you're getting these quick hits and you're on to that next pleasure or seeking that pleasure and i thought that was kind of fascinating because probably a good example of this is chicken mcnuggets which is if you've ever looked at that process is you know the meat is basically turned into a paste yeah and then it's just molded and cooked and that is the It's made like that because you can consume it faster.
0: Yeah, and you can make more from the chicken. It's just, it's it's like a lot of our, our meat products out there. It's, it's what's left and what can we do with that that can then be sold as a food product.
3: Yeah, and then when it's kind of padded down like that, you have more surface area to put all of the fatty bre- breadcrumbs uh, yes. on it to even amp up that product more so that your brain's like, ooh, nice. Deep fried, yeah. I'll take more.
0: And then some sort of gelatinous, sugary substance that you can dip it into, and then uh, in you go.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
5: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but...
0: Same old oh, yeah.
5: And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues... Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right.
4: But we loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic.
5: Jerry had died of AIDS, and
2: it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex.
4: But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught. A history of courage and perseverance.
3: I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it.
4: And it was a history full of love.
1: The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible.
4: And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. From iHeart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Yeah, now, um, cola companies are looking at something called sensory-specific satiety. And this is the tendency for big, distinct flavors to overwhelm the brain, which makes the brain kind of say, whoa, 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 that's that's enough. And it depresses the desire to have more. So they have to keep this in mind when coming up with just the right blend of sweetness and flavors. And they're trying to reach something called the bliss point. Like this is an an actual industry term. And um, that's a term that came up in research and development for Dr. Pepper's vanilla soda. It's that that point where the product is firing on all cylinders on your brain, but it's not overwhelming you.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and similarly, in economics, uh, it, it's seen as that the point of consumption where any further increase would make the consumer less satisfied. So in, in a sense, whether you're talking about flavor or quantity, it's it's that point where it's good. But before you hate yourself, like if this yeah. if, if you're ever eating something, and think, this is great. If it was a little more sweet. I would hate myself. Then you are at the bliss point. <laughs>
3: yes, you're right. It's like before you go into the shame spiral. Right. It's just a couple inches before that. And the funny thing is, is that the companies can back off just a speck from that sugar. Mm-hmm. And just a speck from that sugar means that they can, you know, if you're, especially if you're manufacturing billions uh, of, of ounces of this stuff, you're actually going to have cost savings. Oh wow! So they're doing it for both the um, the satiation point, but also so that they can save a couple of pennies, you know, per ounce.
0: Well, that's interesting. The 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 one area where a uh, junk food company would want to cut down on the sugar just for pure cost reasons. Yeah, but yeah. the funny
3: things is that it's so minuscule that it really doesn't affect like the the actual. Um, Health or, or nutrition of that drink.
0: Yeah, because so ultimately there's so much sugar in most yeah. of these products that even even backing out, up a little bit is is really doing nothing to the overall potency of the thing. Um, yeah, I mean it's just ridiculous. I I, I was eating a lot of uh, these you know snack bars mm-hmm. until recently. And even those, uh, you know, you look at them, you start breaking down the, the, the contents of those things. Even the, the ones that are more greenwashed and healthy sounding are, yeah. are actually like it's like eating a candy bar.
3: It is. And even something like YoPlay yogurt is chock full of sugar. And in fact, their serving is, is, has more sugar in it than Lucky Charms cereal. And mm-hmm. this used to be just like a humble yogurt that people would have for breakfast. And they transformed the whole yogurt industry by adding <laughs> sugar into it and making it m- much more of an addictive go-to thing for people.
0: Yeah, it's a, the yogurt just becomes a, a vehicle for the sugar you're having for, for breakfast or your snack.
3: Yeah, and the yogurt has that creaminess element to it. Mm-hmm. In some cases, the fat in it that really makes it even more desirable, um, that's because it creates this kind of... Mouth feel. I'm sure you've heard that in foodie terms before. The mouthfeel is creamy and, and the funny thing about this is that that creaminess and that fat contributes to a smooth and even bolus of masticated food in your mouth. And ah. that is pleasing.
0: Right. Because it's the idea that this, uh, yeah, the, the food has taken the form that it needs to carry on through my digestive system and so that I can absorb its nutrients. And therefore it, it's almost like it's pre-chewed and therefore yeah. pleasurable.
3: Yeah, and it's lubricated. It's ready for action in your digestive system. The, the
0: mother company has spit has spat it directly into my mouth, and now it's ready to swallow.
3: Which, by the way, is something that people have done through the ages, is to pre-masticate food for infants. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But maybe it is. Maybe there's there's a sort of hardwired feeling of that with yeah. with this um, pre-masticated food. Really, now there's something called the Maillard reaction that the industry uses, and this is I did not know about this. This is cooking carbohydrate-rich foods at temperatures high enough to produce that yellow or brown surface, that kind of roasted quality, and kind of
0: toastedness basically. Yeah, and that's what kind of horrified me about this when I first started reading about it. I was like, oh great, now I can't I can't even eat toast. The sci- science of nutrition and, and uh, carcinogenics <laughs> yeah. has ruined toast for me. So, what is left if I can't even toast some bread? It's not quite as simple uh, yeah. as that. And, and really, what we're the, the real villains in the, in this situation are going to be your deeply fried foods, not not as much some lightly browned toast.
3: Yeah, because what it does is it produces something called acrylamide, and this is a known cancer causing agent when when it's consumed at higher levels and it is potentially a dangerous chemical and you could argue that there's probably not enough of it on say your cheetos to Mm -hmm. to warrant any danger but has anyone ever taken like a a 10-year survey of people who eat cheetos you know two packs a day to see what that effect might be in their bodies i don't think so so
0: yeah, after I read over the material, I feel like the take-home was not avoid toast, but rather, here's another reason to think twice about going too often to the fried food trough. You know? Yeah. Just one more reason on the list of reasons to maybe keep French fries or fried onion rings a special treat as opposed to a daily indulgence.
3: Well, and it's even baked, too, like Cheetos. Yeah. Um, which, this was kind of horrific to me for some reason I don't know why it makes sense to me you know how they kind of melt on your tongue
0: well, let's see now which ones are Cheetos are those the ones that have a lot of air in them or the ones that are that look kind of like there's one that kind of looks like orange um, marsupial droppings it's kinda,
3: yeah I know you I mean it's like a pool noodle that's been that's toasty looking yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, the Cheetos has more. It has more structure. Okay,
0: I'm confusing them with cheese puffs. Yeah, because cheese, cheese puffs, puffs right. are the ones that are mostly air, and then the other ones look like, uh, like something.
3: That's but you're right. Use- cheese puffs have what is called a, a higher vanishing caloric density than Cheetos because Cheetos you have to break down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Although they still kind of melt, and this is something that food scientists try to achieve in a product, since the melting quality of the food fools your brain into thinking that there's no calories in it. Huh. And that you can just keep eating it forever. So it's gaming your brain to think, like, oh, yeah, eat the whole pack. You're not going to, you know, fill up from this.
0: So is this the same appeal of ice cream, then, in addition to ice cream, sugariness, and fattiness, and and, and mouthfeel, and everything else?
3: I think so. So I would wager to bet that the fat is probably detected more by the body, and so you can't eat as much of it. But if you're looking at something like a cheese puff, in particular, which is full of air... And it melts really quickly, then your brain is going to be like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, it's 10 minutes later and I'm at the bottom of this package and I'm looking for like little (laughs) bits and pieces of it.
0: All right. But now let's, we've talked about Cheetos, we've talked about cheese puffs, but let's return to the granddaddy of all uh, junk food items the potato chip.
3: Which I can go weak in the knees for if it's the salt and vinegar kind.
0: Yeah, that's. Th- there are some really nice chips out there, and some of them are, you know, they're upscale. They're a little uh, artsy. They're they're a little green washed, and therefore you look at them and you're like, "This is all natural." I can I can eat a whole bag of these.
3: Yeah, and it turns out that a lot of people do. Uh, there's a 2011 study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine and it's all about weight gain what they did is they they looked at 120,877 men and women who were all professionals in the health field so presumably these people would have a sort of a base knowledge of, of of what is good for you and what's not and using data back to 1986 the researchers monitored everything that they ate as well as their physical activity and smoking and what they found is that every 4 years the participants exercised less they watched TV more and they gained an average of 3.35 pounds every four years. So the top contributors to weight gain included red meat, processed meats, sugar sweetened beverages, and potatoes, including mashed and french fries. But the largest contributor was potato chips. Like that, that right there tells you how addictive these little crisps are.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's the cliche, right? That they almost enforce the idea that you just can't stop eating them once you open that bag. And, um, and, and there's a lot going on here, a lot more than I thought, because, you know, if you'd asked me previously, I would have said, all right, with the potato chip, obviously you're getting salty. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you're going to get, uh, you're going to get some oil and then there's some the margin, you know, the fat and yeah. then there's some marginal vegetable content yeah. <laughs> there as well. But, uh, but there's, a, there's a little more.
3: Yeah, that you get the sugar that exists not as an additive, but in the actual starch of the potato potato itself. Mm-hmm. And so that starch in turn causes the glucose levels in the blood to spike. And that can cause more of that craving in your brain for it. Um, so the other thing about this is that there's a sort of physics to the potato chip that is very appealing so you remember that $40,000 device that we talked about mm-hmm. that chews and pre-masticates uh, food? That device has also helped the industry to try to understand that people like a chip that snaps with about four pounds of pressure per square inch. And so you could say that there's definitely an art to it, a kind of physics to it. And Mary Roach actually talked about this in a New York Times article called The Marvels of the Mouth.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the idea that you... When that when that well, I think we've talked about this before a bit. When you crunch into that chip, mm-hmm. when, you, when it when it crunches in your mouth, um, we're getting a sense. The brain is getting a sense that we're eating something fresh. So like, like like yes, it's like celery. Yeah, the brain is saying this is basically celery we're eating here, and therefore we should eat a lot of it because it's fresh and it's not going to be fresh forever. Chow down.
3: Yeah. To get that kind of snap, that fracture, you need crack speeds of the chip of 300 meters per second. That's the speed of sound. And so Mary Roach describes it as a sonic boom inside nice. of your mouth. And then uh, Dr. Ton Van Vliet, who has been studying the crunching of tri- chips for seven years, had said that, as just as you say, that crispiness, that crunchiness appeals to us because it has that sort of freshness that our ancestors would have sought out in vegetables and fruit. So not only is the chip um, very appealing to us because of the sugar content and the salt and the fat, but because it's mimicking something that would have been important to us um, in our ancestral survival.
0: Yeah, and and uh, and on top of that and this was uh, submitted in some materials that you uh, you sent me earlier that just the the, the crinkliness of the bag oh, plays yeah. into that it's yeah. almost like a a harbinger of the of the crispiness of the chip you hear the bag Crinkling and and, and, and and that makes you start thinking about the crunchiness of the of the chip. It's almost like you're you're again you're reaching in with your caveman hands into some crisp, <laughs> crunchy plant to uh, to grab your your lunch.
3: Yeah, and that's what gets us to this idea of sound symbolism. And in 2004, Charles Spence, neuroscientist at Oxford University, had subjects bite into all told about 180 potato chips. And what he did is he manipulated the, that bite or crunch sound with directional microphones and found that when researchers amplified the crunching sounds, that the subjects rated the chips as crispier. Hmm. But when he muffled their crunching uh, noises, they scored the chip as less crisp. So it is really the full experience that you're bringing to the food. And that's that sound symbolism of, oh, this is fresh. It's good.
0: Yeah, the chip that is so crunchy that you have to turn up the television set while you're, while you're watching it because the <laughs> sound is deafening inside yeah. your own skull. So think of all that when you, the next time you open a bag of potato chips because this is an item that has been gamed, that has been manipulated to get the, the maximum response out of you, the user.
3: Yeah, Frito-Lay, $30 million in mm-hmm. that one year to try to create the perfect chip for you to return to over and over again. And for the most part, you think, oh, well, this isn't a big deal. I mean, a lot of this is just, you know, willpower. But we've talked about this before. We've talked about how these pathways are created in the brain. It's very hard to kind of get over these types of addictions. So, you know, it it takes a little bit more than just knowing that it's bad for you. And I wanted to uh, bring up this example of microwave popcorn. Especially that will yield butter flavor. Oh yes. That you see. It uses flavoring chemicals like diacetyl and pentadione, which are dissipated into the air by the heating process. Not something you want to breathe in, right? Well, um, a guy named Wayne Watson was awarded seven million dollars when he sued the manufacturer and retailers of microwave buttered popcorn that caused him to develop something called popcorn lung. Oh, after he ate two bags daily for 10 years. so you could argue that it's just it's not it's not even just an obesity issue sometimes it's it's some of the chemicals that uh, are affecting us in adverse ways. And clearly
0: here it's the artificiality of our food you know I mean yeah. this is not a matter of saying oh all that butter on the popcorn was bad for you. This is a matter of the butter flavoring. It was there's a careful chemical concoction. Had this uh, dire effect on him.
3: Which brings us to this analogy of cigarettes, which isn't a perfect analogy. Mm-hmm. But if you consider that cigarette manufacturers have been known, uh, you know, particularly, I think it was in the 80s that this came to light, that for a number of years they were amping up some of the addictive chemicals in the cigarettes to further addict their customers. Uh. Could you say the same of junk food?
0: Yeah. I would think so. I mean your start if I think basically your starting point is uh is a little less evil, mm-hmm. but you're still ramping it up. You're still trying to make it more addictive and and in opening yourself to situations where someone ends up eating your product product exclusively and then paying the, the price for it.
3: So, about 15 years ago, vice president of craft Michael Mudd uh, he went to a, a industry meeting, a processed food industry meeting meeting and the meeting was meant to talk about the rising obesity mm-hmm. in the manufactured foods that they were creating and he was hoping that that all the the members of these various companies would be open to this idea of regulating their foods um unfortunately that was not that did not happen at that meeting but i thought it was striking because 15 years ago he presented uh this whole idea of what they were doing and how it was affecting people. And he included the following quote in this presentation from Yale University Professor of Psychology and Public Health, Kelly Brownell. Which is, quote, as a culture, we've become upset by the tobacco companies advertising to children. But we sit idly by while the food companies do the very same thing. And we could make claim that the toll taken on the public health by a poor diet rivals that taken by tobacco. Fifteen years ago, before we really even saw this huge expansion of obesity statistics that we have today. It's a little Mm. startling.
0: It is. So tell me this. Yes. This evening, after my son goes to bed, I am going over to a friend's house Mm -hmm. to play board games. And said friend, let's call him Greg, is going to inevitably have two bags on the table. One is going to be normal Twizzlers, Uh and one is going to be this other variant of Twizzler that includes... The blue ones? No, no, no. It's rainbows. Rainbows. And each one has uh, like a creamy filling.
3: Mm. Oh. So what? What
0: am I to do? How am I going to resist having that first Twizzler and then the uh, subsequent, uh, you know, thirty Twizzlers?
3: You know, honestly, I think that you you eat pretty healthy, right? Yeah, it seems to me. I feel like that's not a huge risk for you. What I see is that the problem is is that fast food junk food is so inexpensive and easy now for manufacturers to produce, that a lot of people are going to this as their main sustenance. It's true. So if you are like, man, I'm hitting up the KFC again today, can I pick you up something? And this was happening all the time, then mm-hmm. I might be like, Robert, <laughs> dude, remember the acrylamide? Um, but, you know, I, I really think that's that's the problem. And that is also the problem for people who are... Um, in lower income brackets is that it's a lot easier and convenient to go to these foods instead of fresh foods, which are more expensive.
0: And, of course, availability also plays into that, the whole idea of, uh, of having food deserts where, uh, where yeah. a, a, an individual does not have access to those healthier foods, even if they are a little bit uh, more expensive than the uh, than the unhealthy options.
3: Yeah, and you're talking about food deserts in that there, there have been plenty of studies that will show you that in lower income areas... Uh, there are not grocery stores as readily available. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know, you could hit up that KFC or that McDonald's a lot easier than you could to travel the 10 to 20 miles to find a grocery store.
0: Exactly. All right. So there you have it. Junk food, a little more insight into why we love it, why we cannot resist it, what it's doing to us, how it's gaming us, and, of course, about the the, the dark masters of dark food that engineer it to dominate us. I know that everyone has uh, some comments to make on this, uh, so we'd love to hear from you. What, what fast food item holds the most influence over you? What fast food items have you uh, managed to defeat, fast food or junk food? I'm kind of using the two words uh, interchangeably for some reason. But uh but let us know. Share your stories, share your tips, uh share your alternatives and uh because we would love to hear from you and we'd love to share some of your content on the show.
3: Yeah, I'd also like to know if commercials affect you. I was thinking mm. about this that I think there was one of the Kardashians did a Roy Junior Burger ad campaign. I don't yeah. know if I've got that chain right, but I think it was like, you know, skimpy bathing suit with the burger with like the sweaty bacon falling out of it and, like, the glistening orbs of her breasts. And I thought, God, if there's nothing more supernormal stimuli than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that actually ties in directly with, a, with a, a study I was looking at recently that I blogged about, and I have a, a video coming out about the, um, the, the idea of, uh, oh, what did they call it? It's not the bikini effect, um, but uh, it's something that to, to that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea is that if a male, um, in this case a, a heterosexual male, Looks at a, pi- at a picture of a model in a bikini. Sees a woman in a bikini, or even just handles a bra. Their <laughs> willpower uh, lessens. Like there's, it 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 makes the primal male, you know, want to to mate, to 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 give into this impulse. Uh, but that impulse will will then manifest itself in the form of, say, um, buying some some junk food that they know they don't need, eating some junk food in the office place, or ordering something off of Amazon that they normally would have the willpower to resist.
3: Now, that's not surprising to me if I especially think about it in the context of the bread example and the altruism. Mm-hmm. You know, something that simple, changing your behavior and tapping into that pleasure circuitry. So, very interesting. Uh, let us know your thoughts on that. We definitely want to hear it. And, uh, you can find us. At The
5: Mothership.
0: Yes, StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find all the podcast episodes, all the videos, all the blog posts, links out to our social media accounts, such as Twitter, uh, Facebook, Tumblr, Google+, our YouTube page, which is Mind Stuff Show. Go there, subscribe to us, follow us, and you'll stay up to date on all the cool video projects that we have coming out now and are pumping out in the future.
3: And you can send us an email, if you'd like, at BlowTheMind at com.
1: No hidden fees. No surprises. No, really. What are you waiting for? Get with
0: the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was it?
0: But be careful.
4: You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far...